All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. What an excellent day for an There is no shortage of monsters to haunt our dreams. You got red on you. They're coming to get you, Barbara. Everybody and welcome to another episode of Oh the Horror, a podcast where we take a look at classic and modern horror films from an expert and a newcomer's perspective. I'm the expert Rob Holmes, and I'm the newcomer Steve Allman, fresh from Los Angeles. Absolutely, it's good to have you back, man. <laughs> it's uh, good to be back. I man, it's been, it's been a it's been a long time, and uh, the the stores uh, while I've been away from the story, Rob, you've been doing a great job with uh this show i'm loving all of our guests that we've been having on yeah they've, they've uh, been awesome been listening it's along. been a really it's been a it's lot been of fun. great thank you yeah th- i i absolutely love those guys uh they are welcome back anytime i should be on hiatus far more often oh no it's way better <laughs> than my than my silly old opinions anyway uh yeah we are taking a look at a 1979 treat yep it is phantasm yeah directed by don coscarelli um this is written and directed edited filmed by all all sorts of stuff this he did he did a ton for this movie yeah there's a there's a lot of one guy in this movie uh involved yeah, here it's um so phantasm people love this movie people either love or hate this movie i i should say there's five movies in the entire series so the later ones aren't very good i i enjoy the first one a lot the first one we'll just put that out there it's more of a dreamlike film it's almost if you took the argento giallo style except took away mm-hmm. the whole giallo kind of aspect but kept his later argento dreamlike state i mean there is kind of like a murder mystery in the beginning but it's very that's not what this movie's really about right and i i i get that because the look of this movie is very like clean and glossy and uh very 70s chic for that argento like style but without any of the muddled dream logic that you said before it's it's a very it's a more straightforward type of it's it's an interesting film when you're when you're looking at it too because this is this is kind of the epitome of an indie film it's a three hundred thousand dollar budget which he definitely uses it to a full advantage it is a very i guess he wrote it in three weeks in a cabin right so isolated himself and that's how he got a bunch of the weird tricks and the weird gags a lot of it doesn't make sense it does go through that whole dream logic thing and the whole was it all a dream yes but Mm -hmm. no um which sets it up for the inevitable sequel phantasm 2 which then does the whole setup for three and four and it's kind of like it's over it's never over and that is something that you'll hear starting in the second one throughout the rest of the series um, in the first yeah. one, you just hear "boy" a lot. Yeah, 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 yeah. You d- you really do. So Angus Scrim plays the tall man. This is kind of what he's known for. He is our our kind of villain of the series. And I guess I mean, we might as well just get into it. The weird thing about this film is, yes, it's a horror film, but it's very much a sci-fi film. Yeah, it's it, it's a very interesting type of because I I have never heard really of this character in the sort of canon of like the the would be go to character serial killers you know like the jasons or the freddy kruegers or whatnot but he's very much in the pantheon uh kind of just at the edge of it it seems because i i keep seeing this type of character and i was i've never even really known what he is 
And what he is is actually really fascinating. Yeah. Uh, because his character has been carried over through so many films, it's ripe with sequels because of the type of character that he is, where he's not exactly a serial killer or somebody driven to do stuff like that. I don't know. When you have someone like uh, Freddy or Jason or Leatherface, they're directly killing people. You know, they are going out there and they have a body count. Usually the tall man doesn't really have a body count per se. He's taking corpses of people who have already been killed. Now, granted he is murdering some of those people, right? But they're not right. Exactly dead. So, yeah, yeah. It's in in later movies. It kind of explains a lot more, and it gets really strange, really, really strange. And then the quality dips immensely by the time you hit four, and then Coscarelli sure. didn't even direct five. So here's the thing: I think that the concept for the for these types of movies is actually brilliant. Oh yeah, I concept is great. Concept idea fantastic. of the shape shifting alien. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So guys, big spoiler: it's minute? it's an alien. <laughs> Yes, it's an alien, but it's never really, like, he has a sort of, like, base form, yeah. which is this old man. Yeah. Uh, which I kind of love that he has just, like, this sort of favored form. You know what I mean? Yeah, he's just the tall man. Uh, yeah, it's crazy. He's just the tall man. It's really, really cool. And the things that sort of happen around him and the mystery that, un- like, unfurls mm-hmm. because of him is interesting. Yeah. But I think it's more of the great concept of, like, him... You know, so do, this movie, half of this movie is just people banging in the cemetery. Well, not, uh, not half of it. It's a few, There's only really a few moments of that where this woman is leading guys out to the cemetery, having sex with them, and then stabbing them um, with this weird dagger or knife or whatever. Yes. And then, uh, you know, cuts to a funeral. And then you see later on the tall man taking uh, this guy's body, the whole casket. What apparently it doesn't look like it weighs 500 pounds, but sure. Um Mm-hmm. movie magic guys and carries it and puts it in the back of a hearse uh but mainly this film is about the dynamic between these two brothers and their friend and it doesn't always work i think it's an interesting story that they're going for but there's a little bit of issues on the on the delivery so there's michael sure, and jody sure. are the brothers and then reggie reggie is the local ice cream man and also just plays <laughs> guitar and just comes over the, and sings the songs. The amount of characters that, that are thought of in this is great. Oh, yeah. Uh, which Reggie ends up, you know, coming back in every single scene. Actually, they all come back. Um, in the second one, A. Michael Baldwin is actually replaced by, what is it, James LaGrosse, I think, for the second one. And then yeah. a lot of people are mad about that. And then he ends up coming back for all the subsequent sequels. I really like Phantasm 2, but that is a film that it's harder to find because of the rights issues uh, for the company that made it. Because they had a higher budget for it, they were expecting it to do really well, and it didn't. And then the series kind of died off for a bit until it went straight to video with the third one. Which I didn't like when it came out, but I looked back I look back at now and I'm like, oh man, this is actually pretty good. Because the fourth and fifth so, are so bad. Right. And I was very curious to see, uh, like, I, I think that this this initial is so... Uh, This initial film is so easy for potential sequels. Like, there's nowhere to go but up from here. Because of, like, the idea and this concept of this character, which I really, really love. Well, Uh, and the whole dream, yeah, the dreamlike state thing as well in it works really well. Especially for a first one. Uh, because mm-hmm. you can change it up however you want to. And they do change it up. They change it up the whole formula once you hit the second one, and then kind of again and again and again. 
But yeah, the first one has that Argento dream-like, is there a plot to this at moments? And then you are introduced, you know, to the tall man. And then finally, the spheres. Like that. The sp- oh, man. I love, so, like, honestly, the- justifying this entire franchise's existence is the spheres. For real. I didn't think that, like, a, I guess you could call it a weapon. Yeah. Uh, w- Would be cool enough to do that. But, man, this actually is pretty neat. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. And later we find out they're not just weapons, but it's, you know, people's, I think it's brains being put inside and cased inside the spheres. And so yeah, that's what's like moving them living around. things? Yeah, they're living things. And then, you know, Jody, who we have in this one, who uh, we find out, like, Jody's alive the whole movie, right? Jody's going through, it's Jody, Michael, and then Reggie, we think, at the end is dead. We're we're going through this whole movie right. following this adventure, and then all of a sudden it's this twist out of nowhere where I don't know where the dream supposedly ends or supposedly begins and then ends as far as this like right as far as this timeline goes. Yeah, it it that to me is and very I, strange. That's the very sort of abrupt uh, logic that the this movie and I'm guessing the rest of the series kind of has with the way that it chooses to present itself. Mm-hmm. And I think it's just indicative of the style at the time. Like this filmmaker was going for that popular it thing mm-hmm. really, really well or really hard. And it hits at some points and sometimes it doesn't. I think the times when it does hit is in the, is the settings, yeah, the uh, shots that are based out of those locations, like all of those, everything inside of that mausoleum Every se- everything yeah. inside of that house, and that that mausoleum's cool. a set piece. Like that's a that's a it straight is, up set piece. Like it looks great, and it's fantastic. The mausoleum's awesome. Uh, I like when they actually get through the one door, and you see that it's just the white room with all the barrels in there. Exactly, and then the two essentially the tuning fork. Which wow, what a coincidence that you know uh, Reg used this. What a clever little thing. It is. It is pretty cool. Um, but it's so weird that Reg has his little tuning fork and then sees it and decides, okay, maybe I can stop it. In a way, he does. Because there's a portal that these guys find later where these barrels are being dropped into. So the idea, this guy, the tall man, is an alien. He is he is basically taking bodies, corpses, bringing them back to life, shrinking them down, putting them in barrels, and tossing them through a dimensional portal back to his planet. Honestly, awesome. Like, yeah. conceptually, execution style great conceptually strange as hell every second like it is it's such a weird concept to because if you if you just watch this movie you're like what what the hell is going on you have to really pay attention to this film and all the sequels to really get where this is going exactly and i i figured that like i i this isn't a passive watch and it's probably not even for the better that it is because it sometimes isn't the best at explaining what is happening because what is happening is quite cool. Yeah. Uh, it's just kind of sometimes poorly brought to the audience. But then how uh, much how much of it I is real? I... Because, like, if we had this whole battle that was going on, did any of it happen? Or did the end of the first one, is that a dream? 
you know, Reg may right. have been and stabbed so, and, and survived. And I get, you know, it's, all this stuff comes up in the sequels and all that. But when you look at it in the beginning, and granted, it took nine years for a sequel. Right. So people are questioning and wondering for nine years what's real and what isn't. Yeah, but I, I think the, and where, and where it gets frustrating for me as an audience member is like, again, the comparison to Argento is kind of apt here because where he differs from Argento, where like his entire movie is insane logic. So yeah. it doesn't even quite matter what sort of reality quote unquote is being questioned but the second that that's sort of thrown into the works at the end thinking that this may or may not have either been a waste of time or something that was more frivolous than we thought yeah uh that that's where it gets frustrating to me that's Mm -hmm. where i'm like okay this is a misfire like as as annoying as argento's logic can be it's consistent whereas this i'm like uh, okay yeah like you're, you're losing it a bit now the final moment is amazing though that final shot where oh absolutely we think everything is going to end not in a you know it's kind of like a peaceful way it's you know it's it's bittersweet i guess he michael realizes his brother jody is the one who died and all of this was some sort of strange dream and reggie is alive and everything is okay and then reggie is you know singing this song because he he just does that. He just picks up his guitar and just decides, "Hey it's guys, it's just that, yeah. <laughs> it's time for a song." And then says, "You know what? We're going to get away. Where are we going? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Doesn't we're matter. We're going to get away." Yeah. And so he's like, "Pack up your stuff. Go on upstairs, pack your stuff." And Mike <laughs> just, "Okay, yeah, no, that sounds good." Goes up, closes the door, tall man is right there and just does his awesome boy. And then you got one of those little, <laughs> the, the Jawa, essentially. They all look like Jawas from Star mm-hmm. Wars. They do, uh, they do look like Jawas. Jumps yeah. out, grabs them, and just, you know, pulls them through a mirror. I love that. I love that ending. That ending is awesome. All of the endings in the series, for the most part, are great. The one for the way two ends is awesome. The way three ends is awesome. Those those three, those are the three in particular that I have po- a lot of positives for. So we'll just stick with that. Okay, good. Uh, but it, it's good to know that a series like this can kind of have those legs. Yeah. Uh, because it, at the heart of it, the concept is still solid and it doesn't need to verge too far outside of it. Because we get in a lot of these series, we go to crazy lengths to uh like justify why this person keeps killing these things like Mm -hmm. we can we can talk about halloween and friday the 13th till the cows come home as to how ridiculous those things got but it seems that like i mean you can probably attest to this more than i can but it seems like this is already in the realm of ridiculous and out there oh it gets and all it it needs to do is just keep going yeah no and it does it gets apocalyptic where the spheres are start taking over and the world is you know a wasteland type situation um so it is essentially a a weird version of an alien invasion something that we haven't really we hadn't really seen before especially with how these films were progressing now that's mainly because the acting throughout the series is it gets it gets a little better but it's then a little cheesier there's still these really corny jokes throughout the entire series um right and even in this first one that are just kind of okay like it's kind of it's kind of of funny um but really what it comes down to in this is just the innovation that was being brought to the table the fact that you had this 
mysterious tall man that Angus Scrim came in and just, I mean, really just nailed it. Yeah. And gave this amazing performance by not having to say much. He only has a few lines in the film, but the presence is fantastic. Yes. It, the presence is felt, and it's it, it's very it very very much makes the movie uh, what absolutely, it is. absolutely. Uh, I think... and that's a very important vibe to get. Like we talk about these iconic actors and mm-hmm. making the those roles fit for the rest of the franchise. And damn it, like he's great. <laughs> he's very very good. Yeah, I mean you have to have an iconic villain, and I think that the tall man represents that without having to be too verbose, you know. And that's that's very important exactly. with the, with this type of film. The sphere, it's so cool. It gets better. It gets so much better as it evolves throughout the series. In the I'm sec- guessing there's more attachments. There's more things it could do. It appears more, especially in the second one, and then more, right. and then you you have it in the third as well. But the, the second, especially, it, it comes back heavily. And I thought that. That's really neat. Like, that's just a super fun thing. And the third one, there's really cool moments with the tall man's sphere version of himself. That's great. Yeah, it, it just gets it gets more in depth. Some of the kills are really great in even the first three. But in this first one, I love that initial time that you see the ball and just flying through the air, spikes come out, and then just hits this, like, caretaker guy, like, right in the head. Oh, it's so good. And then the, the blood that's just a straight shot out and like the drill that just goes yeah just because you see it go into his head and you're like oh okay that's pretty nasty and then a drill out of nowhere and it's the it's the drill and then it's the gushing blood that's held for Mm -hmm. like two seconds into a comedic length of amount of time oh it was absolutely absurd so long it was like if someone had put a juicer on him or a blender you know a juicer because it sprays out the back more so than a blender would yeah yeah like a juicer just spraying it everywhere. It was awesome. It, it's, it's such a cool scene. It was it was awesome. It's hilarious. I was like, oh, I wish he could just slip and fall on some of that blood. Yeah. But uh it no, I I think that like for the for the seemingly lack of like gory kills like that, because mm-hmm. there aren't that many really at all. No, no. I mean and that's really that's really the major gore that you get from this you get you get the tall man losing a finger but it's formaldehyde like blood and yeah you also get that turning into a like a, a fly or something like a weird bug fly yeah which is also like really funny and cool like yeah, that design cool... for that fly thing is mm-hmm. really fun yeah, it looks pretty cool i i would have expected a quite a bit more gore out of this because i had seen nothing but uh the sphere with the knives and like you know Right. looks of terror and everything i i had no idea what this what this whole movie's vibe was and what this series was and like can you can you attest if that is that kind of the same or is it does it get more gory as it goes oh, on oh yeah is it, it more traditional kills no the second one's crazy you get uh the sphere deciding to go inside of a person's body and have multiple blades spin around as it kind of cores the person out from the inside oh boy um, you get a sphere going through someone's head, like fully just clean shot through it. You get mm-hmm, yeah. you get a lot of gore in the third one. It's almost like if the Home Alone pranks killed people. Uh, awesome. Just, you know, Love that. hatchets, razor blade, frisbees, uh, with a kid who is straight up just trying to any kill anybody who comes to try and hurt him. Um Man, I really appreciate that. Yeah, there's there's a lot of fun moments, and you get a lot of crazy. the The tall man kind of being torn apart, and you know, dis- dissolving. But then you see him again later. Um, 
pulling people's hair in a scalp patch, like ripping away. There's just really it, the second one has some cool moments, and so does the third. Like that's it definitely starts to amp up the violence and amp up the gore and amp up like the gooiness of the film uh, in a good way. And, right. But the first one definitely is the most dreamlike of it. it. It gives you more of a, is this real or is this not real? By the time you hit the second one, yes, it is all. There's no dreamlike state. There's no weird, there, there's a lot of flashbacks. They do a good amount of those. And by the fourth one, I think most of it is a flashback or something. Um, mm-hmm. This one especially just has a lot of unique qualities that I don't think you really get in the rest of the series. It's kind of the it phantasm could it very it very well works as a standalone film that doesn't need a series. Very true. It's cool but, that it has uh, one. It, se- it seems like it, that that one is justified at the very least. Oh no, it's it's definitely justified. Mm-hmm. It's a solid. I mean, I think it's you know there are some solid films in the series, and it. It works and it's got a fan base and it's it's been around since seventy nine, so we're talking, you know, forty years. Right. That's that's a long time. And the last one was in twenty sixteen. You know, I mean this series Man. has legs, I think, and then Oblivion was the fourth one, that was ninety eight. So it was a long time mm-hmm. even between wow. four interesting. And five. Longevity for that longevity for that series is like putting up Hellraiser numbers. But, uh, I mean, not uh, not as far as years go. Quality yeah. over quantity, we could say. But sure, the quantity. I think there's ten Hellraiser films now. Or Jesus. Along okay, never mind. I keep forgetting how many Hellraiser movies there are. Ten or eleven. They keep they keep going. It's yeah. There's a lot because um, uh-huh. they've rebooted it once or twice, and it didn't it didn't go well either time. It didn't take. Okay. But yeah, I think uh, Phantasm is one of those films that I would, I kind of want to see it one day get redone. I mean, it could work. It could, but it's, it, a, it's a weird, it's a weird mm. thing. Like, it, it would have to be something that's like unrecognizable from Phantasm in order to get that type of draw. You know what I mean? You know, like they'd have to modernize it in a way that's like. Okay, we got to make it all about kills. It's got to be Well, that was kind like, of what the second one tried to very much put it in the 80s. It it put it very much in the late 1980s, the style of films that we were getting at the time. It has that gloss to it. Yeah. You can see where it goes and some people don't like that film in the series and some people it's their favorite. So, there's a balance that you need to strike with it. I think if you are to remake it now, you need to have practical effects. It has to be practical. You have to go back to for sure utilizing the those original techniques. Yes, you can use digital editing and you can use digital effects to a point, to a point. And that's about as far as I would go with it. I, I wouldn't try and I to think, do I too much. I think with what I think with what Phantasm is, like yeah. at least this first film it's a very sort of basic uh, horror fair. And I say basic in the sense that, like, it's not what we assume horror nowadays to be about the kills, about the effects, about the gore and all that stuff. This is about, like, vibe and moody tension and yeah, uh, a little bit about, like, a mystery kind well, of. Yeah, I mean, you're creating uh, an atmosphere. You almost make it seem like a murder mystery in the beginning. Sure, where it, yeah. it, it kind of has almost that giallo-type killer in the beginning, you know, with with someone just being murdered right off the bat, but you're seeing who's doing it. Uh, but right. then you see the flash of the tall man's face on the third stab. 
uh, where it's like mm-hmm. you see the face, you see the face, boom, the tall man. And it's like, wait, what is going on with this? And then right away yeah. you're like, this is not going to be that. Because the music, the music, let's talk about it, like the score. It's really good at times and then sometimes kind of annoying when it becomes that uh, just ringing tone in the latter half right. of the film when it's dealing with like the tuning forks and the portal. And that makes sense because it would be like sound frequencies and things to potentially open this gateway. I I understand that. It just takes away from such an amazing, an amazing movie score. Like Yeah, no, I, I didn't even think to talk about that. Yes. Uh the score is quite good. Mm-hmm. Uh and seemingly ahead of its time because like this being the late 70s we didn't really hear music like this i want to say and again we, I, we bring it up a lot but like a, a carpenter-esque from like the 80s and the thing and all right that but stuff. see like, this this, is, this a... is where i think it, it it's more of goblin around the time of suspiria the 77 sure right? so this yeah, is yeah, yeah. It, this is where I see it as really taking a lot of stuff from Argento. And when mm-hmm. it comes to the style that he was going with or something that maybe even Lucio Fulci or Lamberto Bava was, were doing, you know, it's taking right. that. No, I see that. There, There's definitely an international style given to this film. It, it doesn't abide by traditional Hollywood standards. It doesn't abide by traditional horror film standards in the way that we would see an American horror film. Mm-hmm. To me, it goes way beyond that. And that's where I can definitely see, at the time, a lot of that Italian horror influence going into it. Right, exactly. Yeah, no, and th- and that's very much uh, sort of his his M.O. for making this movie because it, it seems, he, he wears that influence on his sleeve a lot here. I just, I'm very curious as to the type of sentiment that, like, carries over once that movie's made right. in a future series like does it lose its way does it keep that sort of thing it's an interesting sort of balance that's kind of come from it from this initial offering absolutely i mean you run into the issue then people will say well who are you going to cast as the tall man there's only one tall man okay that's very true that's yeah angus scrim that's who we know right now is the tall man but if you've mm-hmm. looked at some films I mean, The Thing, right? It was The Thing from Another World. The original was this, like, vegetable alien thing, right? It was, like, half... It was was a weird creature. And then we don't think of that when we think of The Thing. We think of John Carpenter's take on that. This ever-evolving alien mass that just turns into everything it's assimilated. And And that's the kind of... That's the cool premise that, like, that's easily latched onto. That, like, anybody could get down behind. Yeah. It's just you present it in a way of this, like, more conniving thing. Uh, you know, it, 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 it's it, I could see this remake happening better than, like, the whatever the thing remake was from way back in the day. Oh, that, was, that wasn't even a, a remake. That was, a, that was the prequel from 2011. Like, the prequel. Now, yeah, exactly. But, like, the same yeah. vibe of, like, okay, we're going to make this tension happen again. But, right, like, right. clearly not. <laughs> you know, I have to say, even with the thing prequel... There was a lot of good intentions that went into it. The studio meddling, uh-huh. man. When a studio wants to rush something and just overlay it with CG because they don't want to invest the time and effort that it would take. It would take a lot of post-production. It would take a lot of, of work going into it. And Universal exactly. didn't want to do that, and it showed. It showed in the box office receipts, and it showed in the quality of the movie. People don't look highly upon that film. So if you're going to do something right. like Phantasm, 
as a remake or even not even a remake but a, a reimagining i guess uh you sure. you're gonna want to not not go too far with what you're trying to do not try to to say okay here's all the good stuff about the original let's just throw that all to the wayside and then do something completely different it's like take the good stuff and try to to take that and then enhance it you know work with it and try and make it better. Like, what would you do nowadays to try and tighten up the original film? What would you do to make it smoother and scarier and try mm. and yeah. give it a little more it's, depth yeah, you, to like it? You, you, yeah, you touch up the acting, have it, you have it centered around that one kid more. Right. Like, have, have him be a fish out of water, like, kind of seeing, like, just the corners of his eye of all of this, this shape-shifting thing. He's just out of reach. Yeah. Uh sort of a thing and like once we're like he's exposed to the thin man and then he kind of like the thin, at, like the at every thin turn man. for like <laughs> yeah or sorry the thin not the, thin, the tall, tall man, man. yeah uh, when being when being exposed to the tall man like every time that he sort of consults with an adult or sort of brings yeah. them into the fold to help solve that problem they're cut away or like they don't believe him or uh they sure. like they're killed and it, it's a it's a it's an easy premise to deliver on i i really didn't think that there'd be something as simple uh, as what I got out of this. And I, I really enjoyed it. I, this, yeah. is a, this is a solid recommend for me, obviously. Yeah, no, this is a solid recommend for me. I think everybody should see it. Uh, Phantasm is required viewing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, whether you like it or not, you don't have to. And a lot of people don't. But it needs to be seen to understand film history and to understand where some modern horror stuff comes from. I absolutely would agree with that. Even if you don't get a lot out of it, you can find something that is either influential mm -hmm. or uh, something tangential to the idea of not horror movies, in, but like movies in general going forward, because we were going to get into a big era of different types of movies of this style. And at the tail end of the 70s, this like sort of eclectic foreign to italian to like art house style was kind of coming to a head and this is really like a bit of a culmination of all that on a american stage and yep. uh, i'm i really respect it i mean 40 years man and we're still talking about it you know <laughs> we very much are it's it's very much worth it absolutely well, uh it looks like that is going to do it for us this week what have we got on the plate next week rob well we are going to take a look <laughs> Speaking of, of movies that are remakes, um, we are going to take a look at Alex Aja's The Hills Have Eyes, which is okay. a remake of the Wes Craven classic. Yes, indeed. Okay, I've been interested to look in looking into this remake of The Hills Have Eyes because I've seen the original, Yeah, and I'm very curious as to getting into these 2000s remakes uh, and see what gold nuggets we can pull out of here this this uh, this I'm was one of this. this is a really dark dark movie really twisted really messed up really messed up but i have to say for a remake it is one of the better remakes by far i can see that i it's can see that for sure okay far. well good enough yeah. all right well we will be looking forward to that but until next time i'm steve allman and i'm rob holmes and you can find us on facebook you can find us on instagram you can find us Anywhere you download your podcast, we are at Oh The Horror and at Oh The Horror Cast. Oh, yes. Thank you so much. I almost forgot about that part. It's been so long. It's been so long. Uh, but thank you for that. And uh, we, were, we will see you guys next time. Look at me, Damien. It's all for you. 
time to keep your appointment with the Wicker Man. When there's no more room in hell, the dead will walk here.